Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Whatever circumstance you have this morning, be it joy, peace, be it sorrow or difficulty, God's grace, His mercy, and His peace coming into those circumstances of your life and mine. The operative word of the hymn that you sang was we. We gather together. And all of the things in the next two stanzas, it's all about what we are doing and the one who's with us in the midst, what he is doing for us. The video that you just saw, there was not a single time it said I. It was always we. We kneel down. We sing his praise. We pray to him. We serve him. The operative word is we. And so it is this morning as it was last week. The operative word is we. Last week we talked about uh, physical health and mental health and emotional health and spiritual health. Four different realms of health. Physical, obvious, spent a lot of time on that. Preoccupies most of our time. The three aspects of one's physical health is exercise, it is diet, and it is sleep. The mental and emotional aspects of our health on this earth, they're all tied together. And whereas the physical health just kind of affects the body and some of the organs, you know as well as I that the mental and emotional health kind of floods into every area of our life. We get a lot of press on physical health. We got a lot of press and direction on mental and emotional health. Here are the things you need to do to stay healthy in those realms. But you do not see very often anywhere the most important aspect of one's health on this earth, and it is the spiritual health of an individual. Because the spiritual health of an individual is all tied in with what we talked about last week, and that is your personal relationship with your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Is physical health important? Yeah, so the Apostle Paul said, 1 Timothy 4, 8, physical training is of some value. And then quickly he moves into the most powerful realm imaginable, but spiritual health, Timothy, is of more value because it will touch every aspect of your life. The circumstances that you're in right now, if you have spiritual health and you know that God is standing next to you, those circumstances take on a different aura, do they not? If it is a joyful circumstance, you are giving praise to God at the wedding reception last night as you had the opening prayer for your daughter who just got married, her family, and his family. You gave praise to God for bringing them together, and you're asking that God to be with them in the next years and decades of their life. Spiritual health, you bring God into that circumstance. And if it is a nightmare time for some of you, which indeed it is, who do you bring in? Do you bring in your biceps? Do you bring in your mental and emotional health quotients? Or do you go straight to him? 
Psalm 121, I lift my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. Who comes to you in the nightmare? Who comes to you in the storm? If your spiritual health is strong, you don't spend much time in fear and worry. You do not spend much time in hopelessness because you have him. And you know that 365 times that him, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, has told you don't be afraid. And then he gives you a darn good reason for not being afraid. He says, I'm with you. The one who created this universe, I am with you. The one who put a sperm and an egg together, I am with you. The one who opened up the waters of the Red Sea 3,500 years ago, that's who's with you. Physical health, mental, emotional health, spiritual health. If the physical health deals with diet, sleep, and exercise... What three aspects are involved in the spiritual health of an individual? One is reading God's Word. Reading God's Word. Someone sent you a letter five years ago, and you take out that letter every once in a while, and you read it, and you reread it, and you put it away, and a couple of years later, you're down in the dumps again, And you take out that letter and you read it again because when you were so down in the dumps, when you're so discouraged five years ago, someone sent you that letter. God said, send this person a letter. They need that help. And they read that letter five years ago. And what you put on that paper by the grace of God, it lifted them out of that darkness they were in. And then they tucked that letter away. And it's five years later and something has reared its head. They know where that letter is. They go straight to that letter and they read what you wrote. And as it lifted them up five years ago, so it lifts them up now. You have letters. You have emails. You have text messages. Whatever you want to call them. You have these letters from God. And if he opened up the waters of the Red Sea for you 20 years ago, and if he did it 16 years ago, and if he did it four years ago, and you're in a mess again, you just need to read his letter once again. Okay, Romans 8, 31. Nothing shall separate me from you. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me with your fears and your worries like you did 20 years ago, like you did 16 years ago. Come to me now with those things. And as I lifted the weight from your shoulders then, I shall lift the weight now. Spiritual health, prayer, reading his word, and fellowship. Operative word, we, the operative word, fellowship. Let me read Acts Chapter 2, just a couple of verses here. It's the day after Pentecost. Fifty days after Jesus has been raised from the dead. The early Christians gathered together. There's the word. The early Christians gathered together. And they devoted themselves to the teaching of God's word. To the breaking of bread. 
They devoted themselves to prayer and they devoted themselves to fellowship. If you want spiritual health, health, you read his word. You do that individually. But if you're in a group, all of a sudden you're not reading the word individually. All of a sudden you're reading the word and someone else is reading the word. And a light bulb goes off in your head and you sit and say, here's what this word means to me today. And here's what it meant to me four years ago when I was going through this thing. And someone else in the group that you're with, they say, well, when I read the same verse you're reading, here's what this verse means to me. Here's what God did for me. Here's a miracle that he worked in my life. So all of a sudden, you just don't have one story about God going on. You have two. And if there's a third or a fourth person in the group, all of a sudden, you got three or four people, and you are expounding about who? You're expounding about him, his place in your life, what he's done in your life, and what he will continue to do. Acts 2, 42, they gathered together. And it says everyone was filled with awe. Why were they filled with awe? Because they were all telling different stories about Jesus. Did you hear what he did in the marketplace with a woman who had been sick for 12 years? Yeah, I heard about that one. Did you hear that he took five loaves and two fish and he fed 10,000 people? No, I didn't hear about that one. Thank you for sharing that one with me. And when they tell these stories about God... It's not just Bartimaeus, you see. It's not just a thief on the cross. It's not just a man let down to the hole in the roof. If God's presence is there, where two or more are gathered in my name, if his presence is there, he sits and takes those stories and he slaps them into your life. And all of a sudden it's not Bartimaeus who was blind and then saw. It was you, It was not just the man let down who was crippled. He looks at our crippledness, caused by fear and worry and grief and addictions and everything else. He looks at our crippledness, and he says, I can come into your life, and what I did 2,000 years ago, I can do now. They gathered together in his name, not to uh, play bridge, nothing wrong with it, They gather together in his name, not to make fantasy football selections, nothing wrong with that. They gather together in his name, not for bowling, nothing wrong with that. They gather together in his name on that day for one purpose, to learn more about him, to sink their fingers into the clay of his promises and his miracles. And they met together to pray. And they met together to look at the apostles' teachings. You understand the difference, right? Meeting together in his name for that. You know, we got a bowling league here. Yay. We got a lot of people here that play bridge. Yay. We got a lot to do the fantasy football stuff. Yay. But when you gather together for those exercises, God be praised. But you understand the difference, right? In our parochial school, 248 students get to hear what? 
They get to hear the stories, the miracles, the powers, the promises of God every single day. What is that? When you get together in a small group, whether there's two people or six people or ten people, what do you get to do every Tuesday night or Wednesday afternoon or Tuesday morning with Bill Burke? What do you get to do every single day? You get to study the apostles' teachings. You get to look at His promises. You get to be reminded of who's with you because we forget so easily. And when you're gathered together in His name for His purpose, (laughs) He just comes and pulls up a chair. Okay? If you got four people in your small group, you ought to put a fifth chair there because someone's sitting in it. If there's 32 students in a classroom, you ought to pull up a chair for number 33 because you know who's there. Where two or more are gathered in my name. I'm in the midst of them. Do you ever get tired of this? You guys, I've been here 35 years. Shower been here 20. Some of these teachers have been here forever. Do you get tired of this? Did you ever say to your mama, your mama always said whenever you left the house, I love you. <laughs> Did you ever say to your mama, I'm so tired of hearing that. Stop saying that. Did you? don't think so. If this guy in the pulpit needs this basically every day, okay, not every other day, if the guy in the pulpit needs this every day, not necessarily because of what's going on in my life, though I pray for my grandchildren frantically, If I need this every day because of what's going on in your life, and all of a sudden, by the grace of God, you you trust me enough to tell me what's going on in your life, and sometimes that that just brings me down for two or three or four days. If I need this every day, I would trust that you need the same They gathered together to hear the stories of God, the promises of God, which never grew old. If you know somebody, a family friend or a family member, and they say to you, if you ever need anything, just give me a call. Do you take advantage of that? You know pretty quickly whether they're true to their word or not, okay? So you give them once, uh, twice, and a third time, and can you help me with this? Oh, a little bit busy. Call me again in another couple of weeks, okay? So you got the list of who not to call, and then you have somebody who says, whenever you need anything, call me. And by golly, whenever you call them, they're there. You're not a good plumber, they are. You're not a good carpenter, they are. You can't do anything with your car, they can. You got medical issues, she's a nurse, but she said, man, whenever you need some help, you call me, and you do. Vern Karras makes calls. I make calls. Mike Heyer makes calls. I tend to think they like Mike Heyer the best because he's a doctor. (laughs) And when he makes calls, they got their medical questions. If someone on this earth says, call me and I help you, you just do that without a second thought, and then you say to them, how can I help you back? 
What does he say to us? Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me with those fears, worries, troubles, storms. Come to me. I'm not a mean guy. I'm not a fire and brimstone guy. I'm not going to chew your head off. Literally, he says, I am gentle and humble in heart, and I will give rest to the most important part of your being, your soul. I will give rest to your soul. When you gather together in any small group, they pray every morning in our parochial school. Our principal leads them in prayers. The teachers with a devotion leads them in prayers. They pray every single day. Jason's choirs, they pray. Your small groups, they pray. We pray multitude of times in the course of a Sunday morning. And when you gather together and this aspect of prayer is involved, and you got more than one person praying, do you see how the kingdom is expanded? You remember the parable? It's one of the kingdom parables, Mark chapter 4. It talks about a farmer sowing seed. And some seed falls on thin soil, and some falls where the thorns are, and some gets eaten by birds. And then it says some seed falls on rich soil, and the harvest is 20, 30, 40, 100 folds. Let me ask you the question. Be sure she's back for the benediction, okay? Because whenever I do the benediction, she just does this, okay? Be sure she's back for the benediction. Who's the sower of the seed? You say, well, pastor, you are, and the Catholic priest is, and the parochial school teachers are, and you're correct, but who's the sower of the seed? You are. You are the sowers of the seeds. And when you get together in your small group and you're talking about bridge and you're talking about, you know, here's how my job is going and you're talking about all that stuff, there will come a time when you're in that small group, just like there's a time in our school, they talk about math and science and social studies and English, but there is a time in our parochial school every single day that they are talking about God. And all of a sudden you got some student raising their hand and saying, let me tell you what God did in our family this past week. Do you see? Where two or more gathered in his name, you got seed being spread all over kingdom come. Right? 2005, 18 years ago, our first small group, 700 people involved. It's 18 years later. That group hasn't met in ages. But let there be a wedding. (laughs) And I sit and say, what are you doing at this wedding? You're not related to them. Well, I'm part of their small group back in 2005. And I've never lost touch with them. I come to a funeral, to a wake, and I see people there. I say, how are you related to so-and-so? I'm not related. I was part of their small group. You see what happens. And they are there to tell stories about God, to praise Him, and to glorify Him. 
So a gal told me this past week that she's in a Bible study freshman year at a local high school, and there are four other students with her. And during the lunch hour, they're having a Bible study. What's that? You got four people spreading the seed. One of our freshmen down at one of our colleges in state. She started a Bible study. She's a junior. There's another one who's a junior at one of our colleges. She's part of a sorority. There are 18 of them every Wednesday night that get together. For what purpose? Oh, my goodness. To share God's word and to pray and to tell stories about God. I hope, can you worship God alone? Absolutely. Bartimaeus did, thief on the cross did, woman at Sychar as well. They all worship God alone, right? But when God becomes involved, all of a sudden you're not alone. And you can't keep the story to yourself. Closing word. Noah had a small group, met for 16 months on a boat with a lot of animals around. You think you have distractions during your small group. At the end of 16 months, God said to Noah's small group, I want you to go out. I want you to tell all the world about me. First thing they did, sacrifice to God. Second thing they did, they went out and told the world about him. That's what your small group does. Doesn't keep it to itself, brings it out there to others. Daniel had a small group. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, four of them in the small group. And the reason they met was because the culture was anti-God. And God put the four of them together to, to protect them, to encourage them in the midst of all the unspeakable things that were going on around them. And by the time Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel were finished with their small group, some 30 or 40 years later, the kingdom of God had exploded all throughout that kingdom because of what God had done in that small group. Jesus had a small group. Why? So he could train disciples? No. Why did Jesus have a small group? Because it's not good for any man, including the Son of Man, to be alone. And when it's the night before he dies and he goes into Gethsemane, he says, Peter, James, and John, do you mind coming with me? I need you to pray for me. My small group, Peter, James, and John, would you pray for me? So many reasons to be connected with one other human being. If you can join a small group, do that. You know the seats are out there. If you can sing in the choir, join that small group. If you're thinking about where to put your child, your son or daughter, that small group over there, second grade, first grade, pre-K three. Get together with someone over lunch. Before you go golfing, why not have a little Bible study there at the country club? Get together with someone because there are stories that you don't know about God in their life that you need to hear. And there are stories about God in your life that they need to hear. Spread the seed this fall in our Savior's name. Amen. Heavenly Father, be with your children on this earth. We have the same vehicles they did 2,000 years ago. We have the apostles' teachings right here in the Bible, the miracles and promises of God. We have the ability to pray. 
And we have the ability to gather together with others whom you have already chosen for us to bless our lives and to bless the growth of the kingdom. Keep us close to you, Lord, in our Savior's name. Amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.